Well, hello. It is so good to be with you today. I'm so excited to be here as a Southwestern alum. It is such a joy to be here. I have so many great memories. I went to the Houston campus, but I came up here many times so that I could go to summer school and different things like that to get all of my hours. And a couple just great memories that I have are just times with professors times with faculty and staff, which is great. Even Chris Osborne was my pastor when I was going to college. And so that's awesome to be able to see Chris today, which is so great. I remember, and I want you to get how special this place is going to be to you one day, even though there's stress upon you now of getting all your stuff done. I remember when I graduated, we had to go through a lot of different, you know, make sure you paid all your bills and do all these little stations. And I sat down in the rotunda And I sat there, and for some reason, I was just by myself. There was a lot of hustle on campus. I was just by myself. And I sat there, and I cried. I cried. I knew I'd go to college. That was a part of my family kind of lineage that, you know, it was more what college you're going to go to than if you're going to go to college. I became a Christian when I was 16 years old, partying, drinking. We never went to church at all. And then I sat there in this rotunda and thought about all the great men and women of God that had come through there. And I went, wow, I get to be numbered among them. Just one of them, one of many, not one of only, the one and only, right? But one of many. And I just teared up in my heart and I teared up in my eyes and I thought, what a blessing. Now here I was sitting there, newly married, just had gotten married just a couple months previous. And so I want you to know that you are a part of a blessed place. You are a part of a wonderful, wonderful calling So many complaints about ministry that we hear these days. So many, it's terrible. So many, it's no fun anymore. So many, it's so stressful. So many, we don't get paid enough. So many, I don't want to do this. So many, I want to quit and do something else. And I'm telling you, it's awesome. It's amazing to be in ministry. It's incredible to serve a church. It's amazing to pray and to study your Bible and to watch God at work. I remember I was an intern youth minister here in DeSoto, Texas, um, kind of southwest part of Dallas. And so just to tell you my kind of career journey, I had a job, first job ever at a church was intern student minister um, at Hampton Road Baptist Church in DeSoto, Texas. And then my next church job was pastor of Houston's First Baptist Church. A little stress involved. Whoa, how's this going to go, Right. I got there when I was 33, and everybody's like, that was Jesus's age. I'm like, he got crucified at 33. Do you know how bad this could go? This could go terrible. And in between was breakaway, which was a great season. But I remember as a student minister, we were driving back from a Rangers game, and it was nighttime, and I was driving the church van, and all the kids began to sing what was on the cassette tape by uh, one of the Christian singers at the time. And it was a song, Whatever You Ask, I Want to Obey You. Whatever You Ask, I Want My Life to Be With a Servant's Heart. And I heard these students behind me singing it as I drove this van back from a Rangers game at night back to DeSoto. And I just, I thought I'm gonna give my life to this. I can give my life to people saying, whatever you ask, Lord, I wanna obey you. I get to lead the van in a sense. I get to be a leader in that. What a joy, what a blessing. And so I'm so grateful for this seminary. I'm so grateful for people that poured into my life. Great for you, Chris, and preaching all those sermons I heard as a college student and all the leadership of the seminary and the faculty and just so grateful. And I can't believe I get to do what I get to do. What a joy. So I just want you to be encouraged today. You get to be a part of something great. 
How awesome is that? And yes, it's hard. And sure, there's mean people. And yeah, there's different things that you could be doing. But if God's called you, you are walking in the blessings of God and you're gonna make it through all of those things. And so I wanna give you that thought because I believe that you are a difference maker, that you're gonna make a huge difference where you're going, making a huge difference right where you are. Our whole theme of our church for years was being a difference maker. As as you said, I wrote a book called Difference Makers, and we had this thing that I want you to to say with me in just a second. It's called the Difference Maker Declaration. We're going to put it up on the screen if you guys can put it up there already for us. Difference Maker Declaration, and we're going to say this together, and I want you to say this because I want you to get that you are a difference maker, and I want you to hear, too, that I led our church. We said this every single week for probably two or three years. Because I wanted the people in the church not to just be pew sitters, but difference makers. Now, I didn't make them stand up and put their hand on their heart, but it got close, okay? We were close. So you ready? We're going to say this together, but we're not going to say this together as a morning crowd, which is wah, 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 okay? We're going to say it from our hearts. We're going to say it excited. So here we go. Read it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. I was made for more than watching. I have a history-changing, difference-making, life-giving, spirit-empowered legacy to leave. Jesus, I ask you to work deeply in me and clearly through me as I pray, give, and go in your love. I am a difference-maker in Jesus' name, amen. Our church said that every single day. We had t-shirts that said difference-maker, and now our folks talk about we are difference-makers as we go out. Ephesians chapter four, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So I wanna give you five things as you're gonna step out of this place and as you're already doing ministry, five qualities of a minister, of a leader, of a difference maker, of somebody that really makes an impact. And we're gonna find it in Nehemiah chapter five. Nehemiah chapter five. Now, if you're gonna talk about leadership, you're gonna talk about making a difference, man, your Bible should just fall open to Nehemiah, right? That's just, just, Threw it on the ground for you, manna from heaven, to be able to have that. I want to give you a couple things here, if you're taking notes, that you can write them down. We're going to begin in verse 15, or actually verse 14. And as we journey through this, we're just going to give you some different things along the way. So here we go in verse 14. Furthermore, from the day of King Artaxerxes appointed me to be their governor in the land of Judah. So he's got his ministry appointment. He's going to be the governor from the 20th year until the 32nd year. I love the Bible. As if we couldn't do math, that's 12 years. And my associates never, I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. The governors who preceded me had heavenly burdened the people, taking them, taking from them food and wine as well as a pound of silver. And their subordinates also oppressed the people because of the fear of God. I did not do this. Now, let me give you two things right out of the gate. Number one, blaze a new trail. Blaze a new trail. God's got you here for a purpose. And so I want to encourage you as a minister, as a leader, as a dad, as a mom, as a single adult, wherever you are in your stage of life, that you would blaze a new trail. So Nehemiah says, it used to be like this, and now we're going to do something new. We're going to do something different. Now, let me give you just a thought on that for a second. We don't really need new inventions in the church, right? We, We got it. We're going to worship, we're going to preach, people are going to get saved, we're going to baptize them, we're going to disciple them, we're going to send them out. So don't be like, oh man, I'm changing the church. Don't change the church, okay? Keep the church what the church is supposed to be. Keep ministry what it's supposed to be, but come alongside it and say, now how can we do this to be relevant to reach a culture, people in a different way? 
I took over Houston's First Baptist, as, as I told you. Our church started in 1841. We predate Texas being a part of the United States by four years. We were started by missionaries to a foreign land called Texas from Tennessee, and they came to literally the country of Texas. No comments on whether we should become a country again of our own. On the country of Texas, they came in 1841. That's how old our church was. And when I took it over as pastor, we still had some original members, okay? From like 1841 is what it felt like. So there's nothing new under the sun, but here's the deal. To unlock the future, you've got to unlock the past. So when we would have new ideas, I would say, hey, we're going to do this. And it's just like when we did this back in, back there, it's just going to be something new. We're going to do foreign missions, but instead of doing it quite like we did in the 70s, we're going to do it like this. We're going to partner in these ways. So blaze a new trail, but realize that Nehemiah is not building a new wall. He's not building a new wall about a new, around a new city. This is still the same Jerusalem we talk about today. He's not building something brand new like, hey, I've got this idea for a wall. He's going back to rebuild and to do some great things. So the first thing I want to encourage you is that God has given you and has given me and all of us this time, this moment for such a time as this, for God knows the exact times and places in which we should live, right? So he's given us that so we could step out and make a difference. The church has been doing all this stuff for all these years without you. What could happen with you now? God can do great things with you. I say that to our new members all the time. We've been doing all this for all these years without you. What can we do with you now? Because you're here to make a difference, not to just sit on a pew. So blaze a new trail. Think about what God can do. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 30, just kind of an interesting verse. I haven't done a lot of research on it. Maybe you have, and you know probably more than I do on it. I'm sure you do. But it had this, this phrase, and it said, the sixth son of this one guy that was building the wall. So this guy's building the wall, and it says, he's the sixth son of so-and-so. Well, what happened to the other five sons? Well, maybe he's blazing a new trail with his family. I'm the first pastor I know of in my family. I didn't come going to church. When I graduated from this very seminary, at graduation, my grandfather told me the only thing that would have been better is if you'd have been a priest and been Catholic. And then my mom's, which is not a real encouraging thing when you graduate, it's like, especially congratulations. Well, the only thing that would be better, right, is that you would have been a priest. Then my mom said, but then we wouldn't have any grandkids. And he went, yeah, that's true. I'm glad you're going to be a Baptist pastor. His whole theology shifted on great grandkids. You know, how amazing is that? Maybe you're going to blaze a new trail. And I'm not trying to get into Catholic Protestant. I'm just saying, just let God do new things. We're right now in an initiative in our church. We're calling it kainos, the Greek word for new. That's our, our, our resource campaign that we're in right now. And we're doing brand new things, things we've never done before. Heard from one of our missionaries. We sent a team to Nepal. They went and they backpacked in. They partnered with IMB missionaries. This blew me away. This, I mean, I could just go to heaven after hearing this. Our team went further than anyone has ever gone into this mountain range to share the gospel. Do you feel that? Further than anyone has ever gone into this mountain range to share the gospel. That's a new thing with the same old mission, Right? God bless those ideas he's going to put in your heart and let him do great things. So let God start something. You may be an innovator. You may be an implementer. We need both of them in the church. So if you're not the biggest creative, whatever, that's fine. Say, well, how can I help? How can I get this done? Number two, blaze a new trail. He's not going to be like the old governors. In verse 15, it talks about that they put a big burden upon the people. He says he's not going to do this because of number two, because of the fear of God. 
Because of the fear of God, it says, because of the fear of God, I did not do this. Number two, if you're going to be a great minister, if you're going to be a great leader, if you're going to walk with God and be a great difference maker, you're going to have to walk with reverence for God. You have to walk with reverence for God. Your skill is not good enough. Your personality is not strong enough. Your intellect is not smart enough. Your your wisdom is not deep enough. You're going to have to walk with God. Apart from me, you can do nothing, John chapter 15 says. Nothing. You can do a lot of stuff and be really busy, but nothing that really gets done. Walk with reverence with God. How amazing is that? That's so incredible. Such a blessing. God wants a relationship with us, and then he wants to move through us. I like that a whole lot better than God just wants me to work on his team. He wants me to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. He wants to use you and love you in the midst of it. How amazing and great is that? A couple things that I do to try to get that right in my life is I follow three Ps. This is what I do every single day. Pray, plan, proceed. Pray, plan, proceed. Now, most of us, we proceed, then it's not going well, so we start trying to plan, and then we say, dear Jesus, help me, right? That's not the right order. Pray, plan, proceed. I have a prayer kneeler. My Catholic family in my life, I guess, still prayer kneeler at my house. I have a prayer kneeler in my office. The first thing I write down on my things to do list every single day is pray. Every single day, pray, a little box, A1. That's the first thing. And I get on that prayer kneeler. I've got things that are here on this windowsill. I look at I-10 is what my window looks out on, Interstate 10. And I pray and I get on my knees. I bring my things to do list at the end of my prayer time. It's in my prayer kneeler time. And then I write down my things to do. And here's what I found. God has less things on my things to do list than I do. Because my things to do list is often based in my dysfunction and insecurity and need to be busy to feel important. God's things to do have to do with his kingdom and what's going to make an eternal difference. So I pray, I plan, and I proceed. I walk, I want to, I walk with reverence for God. Get down on your face before the Lord. When's the last time you've kneeled? When's the last time you've been on your face? I hope 24 hours doesn't go by in any of your days before you, that you can say, I was kneeling or I was on my face before God. And let God do that. That's not a Catholic position. That's a Christian posture to be on our face before God. And let that happen. If I was to take you back to breakaway way back in the day when this college Bible story started out of my apartment, I could show you a blue sleeping bag. I still have it in my house today in Houston. And I would lay down on that blue sleeping bag as a college student. And I would spend time with God every single day. Put it in front of my closet. I either had to step over God to start my day or I had to step down with God to start my day. And then just as a side note, the coolest thing happened a few years ago. My son's now in college, but when he was in high school, I went in his room. He got cold one night. He pulled out the sleeping bag. I walked in his room to wake him up for high school, and he was sleeping in the sleeping bag. And I thought, oh, man, covered in the prayers of your father. If he only knew, and he did, because I told him how many hours and hours and hours. Your ministry, your power, your strength is based on your face before God. And Nehemiah says, I'm walking with reverence. So take these 40 days of prayer seriously. This isn't flippant. This isn't just a program. This isn't just trying to do something. Take it seriously and get on your face before God and ask God to do something in you and through you and walk with reverence to God. Our society is void of reverence for God. Churches are broken into. Dangerous things happen in churches of 
guns and such. I've got to have security people with me in church in the morning or Sunday mornings now and have for years. I mean, it's just a crazy time. What a crazy time. And there's no reverence for God, but let's, let's have reverence for God in our hearts. D.L. Moody said it like this, a holy life will produce the deepest impressions. The deepest impression, lighthouses blow no horns, they only shine. Lighthouses blow no horns, they only shine. Let me show a picture just of a lighthouse, just remind you, in the dark of the night of our culture, we get to shine the light of Christ. What a pleasure. In the dark of the night, coming back from a Rangers game, you get to hear kids or whoever you're ministering to say, Lord, whatever you ask, I want to obey you. Whatever you ask, let my heart be with a servant's heart. Walk in, with a reverence for God, blaze a new trail, but let God do his work in your life. I've been spending time, I'm teaching Romans right now. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But before we got to Romans, we were in Galatians because I wanted to introduce our people to Paul. And so we talked about his conversion, you know, in Acts. And then what happened, he, he mentions it again, all sorts of places in the scripture, but in Galatians 1. And in Galatians 1, it says, and then I went to Arabia. It's three years he went to Arabia. Paul went for a thousand days to be with God. And you wonder why Romans is so rich. He didn't write it on a weekend retreat. He wrote it after thousands of days, a thousand plus days with God. And then years later wrote Romans and then all the other epistles that we read. Amazing, spend time with God. You'll never know what God can do. Have the right attitude and you'll have the right actions. Let God do his work through you. Um, Chris, when he was my pastor, told me this and I took it and it's, it's a good advice. Give your mornings to God, give your afternoons to the church, and give your evenings to your family. Your mornings to God, your afternoons to the church, and your evenings to family. So I spend time with the Lord. I have no appointments before 1130 unless I'm speaking at a chapel in Fort Worth at 10. <laughs> you know, and so here I am. I spend time preparing. I'm not smart enough to wing it. I, got, I need to get in this thing and figure this thing out. It's a tough book to preach a lot of things out of, right? And then to the church, man, I'll have meetings and do all that and then try to give, you know, my, my evenings to my family. Of course, there's stuff that happens in the evenings, but not every night, right? Walk with reverence for God. Number three, verse 16, it says this, instead, so instead of, of uh, you know, doing what was previously done, instead I devoted myself to the construction of this wall and all of my subordinates were gathered around me for the work. We did not buy any land. That gives us our next two. Number three, build his wall, build his wall. God has a place for you that is a particular place. And Nehemiah says, I did this work. I built this wall. I was focused on this task. And let me tell you what will get you misfocused when you're looking at what your friend's doing over here. And boy, I wish I was doing that job. And I wish I was at this church. And I wish I had this. And I wish I was doing that. All of those sort of things. You build the wall God has you to build. You build the place where he has you to build. Don't worry about where he put anybody else. Let God use you where he placed you and you just do a great job there. And if he wants to move you someplace else, then he can move you someplace else. The Lord knows you. He knows how you're wired. He knows how he puts you together and he'll put you in the right place. And then you do a great job there, even if it's a difficult place and he'll move you to the next place. But don't get starry-eyed about other people and what they're doing. You build the wall God has you to build. 
remember when I was doing breakaway and it was blowing and going and we'd gone from 14, 12 people in my apartment to thousands in the basketball stadium and it was great. And this, this young ministry kid came up to me. He was a college student, wanted to be a pastor. And he came up, I'll never forget it, Fud Ruckers on Texas Avenue. He came up, he said, what's it like to be you? And I said, or what's it feel like to be you? And I said, it doesn't feel like what you think it feels like. I'm glad to be me. And you think it feels like this to get to speak at a big group. You just be who God has you to be and let God do his work in you. And I'm sure he went on to do greater things than I've ever thought of. But God has a plan for you. D.L. Moody, again, to quote him, he said, give me a man who says this one thing I do, not these 50 things I dabble in. This one thing I do, not these 50 things I dabble in. Focus, don't live life in fast forward. Don't live life in reverse or in rewind. Live life in play and let God do what he wants to do through you. How amazing is that? I just wanna take a, a moment to have personal privilege here for a second. I'm in the DFW area and I'm from Houston the Astros are in the playoffs and the Rangers are not. I just wanted to remind y'all, in case you didn't know, let me just throw in an Astro illustration. And just so you know how much I love you, I was invited to the game this afternoon and said, no, I'm preaching at the seminary. And so we're hopefully gonna win again today. But there's a guy on our team and his name is Justin Verlander. He didn't do so hot on the last time he was out, but he's typically pretty good. Justin Verlander's batting average is 100. That's terrible. If that's your, you know, great average, you get 100 on everything, that's great. But this is not 100, this is 0.100. So this is 10%. Means when he gets up to the plate, 10% of the time he gets a hit. That's terrible. But he has struck out 3,151 people. Nobody cares what his batting average is because he's a pitcher. Jose Altuve has got over a 300 batting average Lifetime hits of almost 2,184 homers, and he's never pitched an inning. Nobody cares. Why? Because Altuve is to get the hits, and Verlander is to get the strikeouts, and we are to be the body of Christ. So the arm doesn't say to the hand, I have no need of you. The eye does not say to the ear, I have no need of you. We come together as the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. And hey, I'm good at some stuff. I'm bad at some stuff. I tell our staff all the time, if you asked any of our staff members, they could tell you this. I'm good at steps one and two and nine and 10. I can have the idea and tell me when it's time to cut the ribbon, but I'm, I need help in three through eight. And there's other folks on our staff that are awesome at three through eight. And they don't wanna be on the stage and they don't wanna come up with the idea. They just wanna help to get it done. Let's be the body of Christ throughout the whole thing. So... Build his wall. What's he got for you? What's he got for you? You like to preach? Well, great. Lay that before the Lord. You don't like to preach? Great. Lay that before the Lord. You like to do this? Do that? Great. Let God do what he wants to do in you. And that will be an amazing place. And then we see all those verses. It says, you know, whatever gift you've been given, serve the Lord with it. Build his wall built his wall. When God's idea, you discover God's idea, you will discover that God's power goes along with that idea. Here's what I changed a long, long time ago, and it made all the difference. Instead of me coming up with my idea to preach and then asking God's blessing, I first asked God, what's your idea? 
because God's blessing comes along with it. And I want to preach what he wants me to preach, do what he wants me to do. I want the kainos, new things to be what he wants them to be. And then number four out of five, give instead of get. Give instead of get. Here's what it says. We did not buy any land. That's going to be key in a second, verse 16, verse 17. There were 150 Jews and officials as well as guests from the surrounding nations at my table. Each day, one ox, six sheep, and some kind of fowl were prepared for me. An abundance of all kinds of wine was provided every 10 days, but I did not demand the food allotted to the governor but because, because the burden on the people was too heavy. The burden on the people was so heavy. So give instead of get. Leadership is not about you. Leadership is about serving other people. Leadership's not about you getting anything. If God didn't give you another thing, he's already given you too much. You realize that? I have to give you another thing. Salvation in Jesus Christ is plenty. The fact that you're in this room is plenty. Now, he's going to give you a lot more because he's an abundant God and he's a gracious God. But if he doesn't give you another thing, so you be about giving, you be about serving, you stay low, you stay humble, you stay before God, you stay reverent before God, you stay before your face, on your face before God. And when that happens and you let that happen, then you're gonna have a heart that says, I wanna serve. And Nehemiah here, he says, I wanna give instead of getting. It said, it's an, it's an innocuous kind of thing at the end of verse 16. I passed by it many, many times. And then I researched it a little more. We didn't buy any land. Well, what, who cares what Nehemiah's real estate endeavors were? It's very important. Here's what would happen is that they would tax the people. Leaders would tax the people. The people couldn't pay the tax, so they would buy their land for a dime on the dollar, okay? So it was, it was, a, it was a trick. Here's the taxes you can't pay. Oh, you can't pay them? Well, then we'll just take your land instead, and now the leaders are getting big and fat on it, right? He says, not us. We didn't buy any land. But, uh, no, we didn't buy any land, Instead, we invited the people to come to the table and to dine. And do you see even missions in that? There are 150 Jews and officials as well as guests from the surrounding nations at my table. Isn't that a beautiful picture of heaven, a precursor? And so coming together to see that happen is a blessing. The land, one commentator says, the land Nehemiah refers to is that which the governors could accumulate from the people's failure to pay taxes or repay debts. As a governor, Nehemiah could have loaned the people money to pay their taxes, having used their land as collateral. He says, I did not do it. I'm here to serve, not here to take. How amazing is that? Give instead of get. Great coaches give the team credit. Level five leadership from Jim Collins and Good to Great, they look out the window for praise. They look in the mirror for blame. And too many times we look in the mirror for our own stuff and Instead, let's give instead of getting. God will reward you is the last and final thing. Number five, remember me favorably, my God, for all that I have done for these people. Now you see, remember me throughout the scriptures and particularly the Old Testament. Remember me favorably, favorably saying, I want you, Lord, to be my reward. So here's your last point. Trust God to be your reward. Trust God to reward. Let him be your reward. The Levite's reward is in heaven. And so let's be people that trust him 
to reward us, that he would be the one that would reward us. And you know what? There'll be times you thought you should get a little bit more than you got. Times you thought you should have gotten a little more encouragement than you got, a little bit more. Man, that was a great message than you got. Man, thanks for serving than you got. And whenever you don't get that, you just take that to the Lord and just give it to him and say, God, I give it to you. Because sometimes when you get too much encouragement, it can be bad. Spurgeon preached a sermon, walked off the stage. A lady come up, came up to him and said, this is the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And he said, yes, I know. The devil whispered it to me as I walked off the platform. Think about that. You just let God be your reward and let God do his work in your life. And he can do something in you, through you, great. Whether you're famous on earth or famous in heaven, whether you're on the cover of some Christian magazine or not, does not matter. Jesus Christ is enough, has done enough, and will be enough and will be your reward. And so you just serve him and you let him take care of all those other things. Let God do something in your heart and your life. Trying to just dig deeper in the scriptures and talk about these things and then I'll close with one other illustration. I'm teaching Romans right now. It's a daunting book, right? Everybody says, I love Romans. And they mean they love Romans 8 and Romans 12. That's right, what they love, right? But then when you preach it, you're like, we got to come one through three. We got to go nine and 10. And oh my goodness. And here we go. And so I'm still standing after preaching Romans one, okay? You're going to make it. And so I just thought, I just want to get, I just want to get this in my heart. I want to get this. This is kind of going back to the reverence part of it. But I, I got my Southwestern journal that I had received for, I'm not sure what I did to receive it, but I got one of these. And my wife had this idea, and so we do this almost every night. We pull out our Bibles, and we're writing the book of Romans in our journal. Just like a, a scribe of the Old Testament writing. And so I'm in, in Romans chapter 7 um, is where I am. And my wife, godly lady that she is, she's like, I think I'm going to do this two or three times. And I'm like, I think I'm hopefully going to finish, you know, is what I'm going to get. But she's a, she's a journaler, right? She's, she's, she, she doesn't want to be up here on this stage. And she wants to be thinking and journaling. That's kind of the sweet spirit she is. And hopefully I got a little bit of that in me. But just writing this out, let God do something in you. Let the reward be in you. Let your seminary just be in your heart of God doing his work. I'm gonna use this as a prayer reminder too every night to be able to pray for the seminary. God has something for you, but you've gotta let God work through you and in you. Because if not, you will become like a banker with $100 bills and a jeweler with diamonds will be the minister with the word of God. It will become so familiar to you, you will not realize its value any longer. Don't be a banker with $100 bills. Don't be a jeweler with diamonds. You realize the value of God. And that's what I'm trying to just remind myself as I read and I write every letter of every word of every paragraph of every chapter of Romans. I need, after all these years of ministry, I need a reminder these are diamonds. And he is my reward. Last thing I want to tell you, and I'm done. I went to Cuba for two mission trips. I've been there a couple times. In this one like year, I went. It was an amazing year. I loved it. I went to Cuba. I went to Venezuela. I went to China. Um, and yeah, those three and some other places. And I tried to get more life insurance, and they wouldn't insure me. 
He said, you've been to too many dangerous places. And I'm like, I'm uninsurable for Jesus. This is awesome. This is so cool. And then my wife's like, yeah, but if you die, I need some money. You know, uh, just kidding. So I went to Cuba twice. We preached in these churches in Cuba. You can't preach. You give greetings on behalf of the people of the United States. And then you say, you know, 30 more minutes about stuff. And so I, um, I'm there and these pastors, they came in literally in dump trucks that we as a missions team had to rent for them to come all over the country to get there to hear us. And like, I mean, it was very humbling. Like we got enough to say for you to ride across the country, but we gave it our best. And at the end of the time, and I'll close with this, one of the pastors came up to me and he gave me this piece of paper, this very piece of paper. And it says in Spanish, an offering of love from Pastor Samuel in Joshua 1.9. And he said, this is from our church. And he took out, I took this out and I opened it up. And here it was, 50 Cuban pesos, 50 bucks. He said, this is from our church, not like from me. And that, when I was there, the average doctor would make about like 25 bucks, you know, in a month type of thing. I mean, so here's 50 pesos. Do you know how much this is worth? I looked it up. Today it's worth $1.64. This was the offering from his church. And this sits on my shelf in my big swanky First Baptist, six people ought to have my office. It sits there to remind me, Jesus is my reward. And I'll go to Cuba and I'll go to Conroe, and I'll go to Keller, and I'll go to Canada, and I'll go to Cambodia, and I'll go anywhere in the world for Jesus Christ. That's the kind of leader I want to be. I want to be a difference maker, and I ask you this, will you join me? Will you join me? And not me, I'm not one and only. We're sitting on the campus of the rotunda in which I cried and I'm still today can't believe I get to do this. So I'm telling you this. Thank God you're in ministry and quit whining. Be grateful to God you get to do what you get to do and quit complaining. Get in the word of God and spend time with Jesus and quit acting like it's a hassle. It's a gift of God that you get to study and God's gonna use you on the front lines of whatever you do. You be that kind of woman. and You be that kind of man and you blaze a new trail. You have reverence for God. You build his wall that he's got for you. You give instead of get and you trust God that $1.64 for Jesus is better than 164,000 for the world and he'll take fine care of you and you'll be on the journey with him.